You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Hope Church Frankfurt. If you want more information about our church, text HOPE23 to 55498. We hope you enjoy this week's message. And so we're going to be there this morning. We have the scripture on the overhead. If you have your Bibles, by all means, please open them. But uh, we have the scripture on the text. And again, this whole idea that we have come together for the sake of, yes, being educated, yes, being inspired, yes, but ultimately, Lord, transform my life. You know, I've been serving the Lord my entire life. But I can tell you there are still, uh, there's a, still a hunger in my heart to God Continue to, to transform me. Continue to make me in your image. Continue, Lord, to uh, allow the compassion of my heart for others to increase. And I know that's your prayer and that's your heart. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Sometime after this, sometime after what? Sometime after this, John doesn't tell us. But if you look to the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which, by the way, this is the only miracle, other, other than the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle recorded that Jesus did. It's recorded in all four Gospels. Is the feeding of the 5,000. After this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke gives us a little more background. After this, after what? Well, it was after, shortly after, Jesus' dear friend, John the Baptist, was beheaded by Herod. And the grief that Jesus would have felt for his dear friend, his forerunner, was martyred for the cause. And it says the scripture tells us that Jesus grieved for the loss of John the Baptist. After this, after this, it was Herod who wanted to have an audience with Jesus. And Jesus would not have an audience with Herod. In fact, even in Jesus' uh, trial, they brought him before Herod, and Herod was asking Jesus questions. And Jesus didn't say a word. It's the only person we see in the Gospels that Jesus didn't respond to was Herod. You have to wonder why. Was there something so ill, spiritually ill in Herod's heart that Jesus wouldn't even give him a response to his question? After these things. It was after these things that the disciples had been sent out on their first missionary journey. And they came back and said, even the demons, be, uh, they, 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 they behave and they, and they obey us. And Jesus said to them, don't be excited about that, but be excited that your name is written down in the land book of life. That God knows who you are. That's what you should be excited about. We're grateful for what the mission you just did, but understand this. So it's after these things, John chapter 6. So there's a lot of emotion that's happening here. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So why did they follow him? Because of the signs he had performed. They were looking for the next show. They didn't follow him because of the words he spoke or because of the person he was, the character in which he conducted his life. Many of them followed him because what? It was entertainment. Let's see what he's going to do next. And there's a large contingency of the crowd who are following him for that specific reason. Today there are people who will go all over the place to, follow, to see the next thing that they believe God is doing. The next marvelous entertaining thing within the confines of the church or outside. We are an entertainment-based society, aren't we? I mean, this afternoon... Many of us, some of us, will sit down, plop ourselves down, and watch a sporting event. 
We like entertainment. I like my entertainment. Think back here. They didn't have television. There were no cable networks. So they saw whoever was passing through. And so that's why they followed Jesus. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside, verse 3, and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast, the festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Philip is one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he, was already, he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would that go among so many? Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. It references men. Perhaps there were there men, women and children. Possibly we see there was a child with fish, so there could well have been more than 5,000 people who were here. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those to those who were seated as much as they wanted it. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Uh, I, I still hear the echoes of my mother. My mother's been gone to, to heaven now four years, but my mother, when she was a child, uh, or when we were children, she always used to say, Waste not, want not. Uh, that was her uh, tagline to us because uh, she had six mouths to feed, plus my dad and herself, and uh, the things were lean sometimes growing up if dad was out of work. So waste not, want not, and she carried that phrase throughout her life, and I still hear myself <laughs> telling my kids, don't waste it. Uh, so uh, let's see, so where are we at here? Uh, anyways, a quick reflection of my mother. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14, and after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come down into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The feeding of the 5,000, it is, uh, has certainly some significance to it. I don't fully understand why it's included in all four Gospels, but it is. And God, in, his, in the mystery and his wisdom, decided that this story would be in all of the Gospels, the importance of it. But when you think about the feeding of the 5,000, and you think about food specifically, food is a common basic need of all of us here. We have that, every one of us has that in basic need. I mean, either you had breakfast this morning or you're going to have lunch soon, but food is something that applies to all of us. There are many miracles we see in the Gospels. In fact, John says there were so many that if all the books could not contain all the things that Jesus began to do. So there are lots of miracles that Jesus did. Many of them are recorded. Of this one, it's in all four Gospels. And I think there is, a, in the wisdom of God and his understanding of human condition, the one thing that we think about food is that food is a universal need. Everyone can identify with the need to eat. Someone this morning, you're hungry. You missed your breakfast and your stomach's starting to growl. <clears throat> By the way, there's lunch provided after service. We welcome you to come and stay and enjoy. Uh, we'll have it right after service. So, <coughs> excuse me. Everyone can identify with this. In fact, it was in Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, 
right? Where he said, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, that most precious, important prayer that Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he included, give us this day, O God. Father, our daily bread. Much of the world lives in a, with a better understanding of this text than maybe we do here in uh, the United States. And what I mean by that is much of the world understands what it is to rely upon God for daily bread. I didn't stop this morning and count the cans in our shelves. We don't have a pantry, but we have two shelves and we have cabinets. I didn't count the cans this morning in our kitchen. I'm going to guess it's in the neighborhood of between 100 and 200 cans of food. We're not going hungry anytime soon. I know some of you say, wow, that's a lot of cans. Here's my exercise. Go home and count the cans in your pantry. <laughs> I still have pump pumpkin mix from two Thanksgivings ago that I haven't used yet. Right? It's still there. This whole idea of our daily bread is kind of a lost concept to us here in the Western world and the United States, a land of plenty, of access. I mean, where do you want to go? I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of square feet of groceries within five miles of this place right here. But if you've ever been outside of this country to another country, you will understand how they may look at this text, this story. Much of the world every day has to go to the market and get their food. Or they have to go hunt their food or go fish for their food or grind their food to go get their water still at a well, which us would say, wow, that's crazy. But much of the world still lives with that understanding. And so sometimes we can look at this text with a little bit of a cavalier attitude. Oh, yes, God, we do trust you. It's easy to trust God when our cabinets are full, when the kitchen, the refrigerator, and the freezer out in the garage is packed. But these people on this occasion were out in a remote area, and there were no grocery stores. There was no pick-your-restaurant. Make sure they have a quick drive through whoever it is. There, were, there was none. Sometimes this is a difficult concept for us to grasp. And yet it is the one that is chosen in all the Gospels to, to, to convey the importance of relying upon God and that Jesus is our provider. In the Old Testament, it is Jehovah. He is our provider. So while the story of feeding the 5,000 is a universal story, the significance of the application is not necessarily universal. Sometimes it slips from me. Few of us have ever known what it is to live with true threat of hunger. I mean the true threat of hunger. I remember our children, now they're all raised, but when they were little, we'd be driving down the road, and it wasn't my sweet daughter. She would never, but my boys, I'll pick on my boys. They're men now. Have you ever heard this in the back seat coming from someone, one of your children? But dad... I'm starving. <laughs> uh, that never went over well with me. <laughs> First of all, you're not starving. 
You may have a little pang of hunger, but you're not starving. You just ate an hour ago, and guess what? We're headed home. And they're usually driving past the Golden Arches, the McDonald's, and that was their way of saying, Dad, I'm in a desperate moment, please. Not that the crowd was in a desperate moment, but they needed to be fed. And Jesus, seeing the need in the moment and the opportunity, he directed the people to sit down. One of the other Gospels, Mark or Matthew, says he had them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. So there was some organization to it. John doesn't do that. John's much more condensed than his, his story of the feeding of the 5,000. But there is a universal application to us. The, the feeding of the 5,000 took, took place away from Jerusalem, the religious center of that day, the civic center of that day. It took place in a remote area. And if you ever wonder if God can do something in a remote area, he can. And he does. And he is. Sometimes we think of God only doing things here in the church or in the, the, the main uh, you know, uh, centers of you know, uh, the Christian experience or you know, the, the, the faith experience. And I'm going to tell us this morning that God is doing beautiful things in remote places all over the world this morning. He's meeting the needs, the prayers, and the hunger of countless individuals who are coming to him. And I ask myself as I come in this morning, am I hungering for the things of God? Am I longing for what he would have in my life and in his church and in this community? Or have I become so beloated and so mm, eh, mm, nonchalant that I don't still pursue God? And that is a challenge for all of us. What God does among us does not need to take place within the walls of the church. I'm thankful when it does, but it doesn't need to. Allow God to work in your place of employment. Allow him to work in your neighborhood. Allow him to work in the, your social settings. Allow him to do that. We've already highlighted that they, served, they followed him because they saw the signs that he performed. And that I not pursue God because of I like the entertainment value of it, but I pursue God because I know he brings transformation to my life, and that's what I need in my life to be transformed in all of these areas, whether my relationships with my family or my coworkers or my neighbor or my enemy, the people I don't like, that God wants to transform those areas of my life. In the story, we're aware that Jesus is always, he's always aware of his surroundings. For while he went up on the side of the hill, the mountain with his disciples, and he, they, were, they were seated there, you can just imagine the viewpoint, the vantage point he had as he saw this great crowd coming at him, and he recognized what was going on around him. Dear friends, when you have Jesus in your camp, when you have him in your life, he is well aware of your surroundings. He's well aware of your condition. He's well aware of the challenges of which you are presently facing. And he has a plan. Like he said to Philip, he asked Philip the question, who wants to be Philip in this story? Not me. <laughs> in fact, when you look at it, Jesus asked a few questions such as he asked Philip on this occasion. And it wasn't to caused Philip to stumble. 
He wasn't trying to show Philip, oh, Philip, you're such a loser. Every time I ask you a question, you don't know what the answer is. Philip, you flunk again. No, it was to test, to prove Philip. To show Philip that, Philip, there is something within you that I want to draw out, that I want to use. And in fact, he used Philip, as we see in the book of Acts, in a marvelous way. He used Philip. And we don't have time to, 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 to develop it this morning. But this one he asked a hard question to. And then we understand in one of the other Gospels, or actually in John, that Philip was from the same town as Andrew and Peter. Andrew and Peter are brothers, remember? They're from Bethesda there. And the Gospel tells us that they're from the same town. I don't know if they were buddies, if they hung together as teenagers. Probably, possibly. It wasn't a big town. Probably knew each other, knew one of another. And all three of these guys are what? They are disciples. It was, it was, uh, it was uh, Andrew who introduced Philip uh, to Jesus. And so I don't know if Andrew is seeing what's going on here, and he's saying, you ever been there before? You've been in class, okay? And all of a sudden, you know your buddy didn't study the night before, and he's called upon, and you know he's stuck. And so what do you do? You shoot your hand up real quick. Oh, oh I, I got the answer here. Or maybe he's in trouble with the coach or with whatever. Oh, hey, listen, I'm, I'll take that. We've all been there. We've all tried to cover for whether it's a buddy or a cousin or a sister or a brother or a parent trying to cover for a child. We've all been there. And I think Andrew's trying to cover for his friend Philip in this moment because he sees Philip's in a tough spot. Andrew's a good friend to have, isn't he? I want to have an Andrew in my life. And what does Andrew say? Andrew says, well, there's a boy here with a couple fish and five loaves, but what is that among so many? And so Andrew tries to give a response. He tries to help his friend out, but even in that, you can hear his voice kind of tail off. As he says, well, but what is that among so many? Andrew and Philip had the right answer up here. They gave the correct answer. Philip said, where shall we buy all of this? Jesus didn't ask him that. But he was trying to find a solution to a question that Jesus didn't ask him. And he gave an answer to the one that Jesus didn't ask him. Anybody here ever ask, answer questions that God's not asking you? Because you know that answer? We're all there from time to time. And God says, I'm not asking you that question. <laughs> right? How are you going to honor your mom and dad? Maybe God puts a little pressure on you. How are you going to honor your mother and your father? It's important that you do that. And what do we do? We say, God, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do this mission trip over here. I'm going to go over here and help these people over here. And God says, no, I want you to honor your mother and your father over here. I, mean, I want to go over here. I want these people over here around the world. I'm going to feed them. Look what great things we're doing. And God says, no, I want you to honor your mother and father. Husbands, sometimes we're challenged because we're not as patient with our wives as maybe we should be, not as loving with them as maybe we should be. And we'll say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go dedicate some hours down at the church. I'm really ticked off of my wife. I'm not ticked off, but it's, you, know, you can be ticked off at your wife. So I'm going to go volunteer at the church and go do some work down there. Swing the hammer a few times. Now I'm doing God's work. And you go home and you're still grumbling around your wife. And God says, you stop grumbling around your wife and love her and support her and encourage her. That's your first task. Not hammering down at the church. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Sometimes we like to switch the questions around. When God asks us something, sometimes we like to avoid a little bit. Come over here. And God says, no, I'm over here. <laughs> and the question's still the same. 
See, the feeding of the 5,000 is really a challenge for us. It's a challenge for me. Let me offer that. Because I see a Philip and I see an Andrew. I think the one wonderful character in all this is the little boy. I mean, you talk, we don't know his name, do we? He's just a boy with a couple of fish and five small loaves. And he simply says, Jesus, I make it available to you. It's yours. No wonder Jesus said, oh, if you'll just have the faith of a child. If you'll just have the faith of a child. We can learn from children of the tenderness, of the innocence of faith, walking with God, simply giving to him what we have. I've discovered the older I've got, the more calculated I become in my worship and my service of God. I've become more calculated. I think things through more now than as a child I simply said, like this boy, God, it's yours, whatever. And Jesus said, will you have the faith of a child? Let us not lose that. Let us never lose that. And finally, the meal is finished. Everyone is fed. And Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to pick up all the, what's left over. And they collected how many baskets? Twelve baskets. The suggestion has been that perhaps he got twelve baskets because now there's twelve disciples and each one of the disciples gets a basket. I don't think Jesus cares about his disciples getting a basket of food they got to carry for the next day or two. I really don't think so. I mean, that may be it. Maybe he was, you know. Jesus takes care of his disciples. We each get a basket. I don't think so. I think there's more going on here than sometimes we recognize. Jesus allowed the disciples, there were 12 of them, and so there were 12 baskets that were filled with the leftovers that were gone. And again, I, listen, we shouldn't be wasting, and we should be diligent and kind. And I don't like wasting food. Uh, so that's, that's part of the story. That's not the, 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 the capstone of the story. And it wasn't the disciples each got a basket, and now they're going to be happy. I, I don't know where the 12 baskets go. The scripture doesn't tell us. I'd like to believe they went to the 12 neediest people or families there. I'd like to believe that. I don't know. But it wasn't wasted. Uh, the nice thing about it, when they left that site, there wasn't like a, you know, a lot of the uh, rock concerts today or the big crowds we have today. They leave all their trash behind. <laughs> that drives me crazy. Right? That drives me crazy. I don't like messes. I don't like wasting. I don't like messes. You're finding more about Jim than you want to today. I don't like messes, and I don't like wasting. But when they left that site, when Jesus and the crowd, his disciples left that site, they didn't leave a mess behind, did they? Jesus had them clean up, and they did. Um, always leave a place better than you found it. Always leave something better than you found it. It's a lesson I learned as a child. You leave it better than you found it. Whenever Jesus was in a place... He always left it better than he found it. There wasn't a scar from him being somewhere. Other than if it was a healing. But he always left it better. And when you and I have an assignment to leave the areas that we minister in, that we serve in, whether it's your work or your school or your neighborhood, to leave it better than we found it. And sometimes that can be challenging because we want to get out of there. Somebody else's responsibility. I don't know that it is. He told his disciples, clean up. <laughs> clean up.
Clean up. What's the takeaway? We're going to conclude with this. What's the takeaway? Is it Andrew? Is it Philip? Is it the boy? Is it the crowd? Is it the fish? In every story in Scripture, always keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't be distracted by everything else that's going on, but always fix your eyes upon Jesus. And what is he doing? What is he seeing? How is he conducting himself? And if you always keep your eyes upon Jesus in the Scripture, Old Testament, keep your eyes on God, you, you'll be way ahead of the game. And what did it say of Jesus? And it concludes this. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew himself again to a mountain by himself. It's a great day. A lot of people were fed. Pastor, a real exciting time. Could you imagine the disciples? Woohoo, man, we had an outreach today. A lot of people came. A lot of people were fed. Whoa, good feeling. Let's celebrate that. Let's talk about it. Jesus, the other gospel writer, tells us, Jesus told his disciples, Get in a boat, go across the lake. I'll meet you. And then he dismissed the crowd. And then he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Time alone with God the Father. Because he knew that they wanted to come take him by force. God knows what's in our heart. And he understands the relationship that we want to have with him. And God, we see in Jesus that Jesus will never allow us to have a relationship with him that's based on our terms. Sometimes we want to write the book. Sometimes we want to tell the story of how we're supposed to relate to God through Jesus. And dear friends, I can tell you right now that Jesus will never have that relationship with you or with me when it's on our terms. He will love us. He will be with us. But at the end of the day, he will not entrust that relationship the way you and I have defined it. He defines the relationship that we have with him. Because he knows what is in the heart of the human. We don't serve him because he feeds us bread. We don't serve him because he does miraculous things. But we serve him because he is Jesus, high and lifted up. He is sovereign over all the universe. Let us never, never Forget that. So, like this account, so also in our lives, let us always, always, always keep God in the center of all that we are doing. And friends, we can never go wrong when he is in the center. Not in the outskirts, the peripheral but in the center of your relationships, of your responsibilities, and of your responses. Let Jesus be in the center of all of those things. To God be the glory. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, make sure to share it and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new messages. Thanks for listening. God bless.